0: Well, it's great to hear the sound of uh, the believers fellowshipping. It's so nice to hear that. Um, just as we're, as we're settling down, sorry, I didn't mean to say it like, you know, settling down. Um, as, we're, as we're grabbing our seats and as we're saying hello to each other, um, Pastor Clark has just asked me to... Uh, to remind you guys, if, if you are planning on coming down to the baptism service, uh, feel free to bring a lunch and just stay and enjoy the park afterwards and, and make it a celebration. Um, it's Again, if you are planning on going, um, you know that's, that's great. It'd be awesome to have you. Just plan on bringing a lunch, maybe, if you wanted to stay and celebrate, and we can have a, a time of fellowship down there. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, if you're wondering, uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks and you're wondering why two weeks ago we were in 7 and 8, uh, last week we were in 6, and today we're in 5, um, I, I took some liberties with the passages assigned to me, uh, so so I decided that it'd be great to talk about Jesus Christ, the great high priest, and the new covenant he established on a, on a day in which we celebrated the establishment of that new covenant through communion. So that was uh, two weeks ago. Uh, this morning will be in Hebrews 5, or the end of 4 and in the, in the beginning of 5. This week uh, has been full of all sorts of controversy in the Christian worship world. Uh, I don't know if you guys fo- have followed this or have seen it. Maybe it popped up on your social feeds. Um, maybe it didn't because you don't have social feeds. But there is a, uh, a prominent Christian songwriter who has publicly questioned his faith. And uh, a few weeks ago as well, uh, a former pastor... Who, who was and in some ways continues to be a prominent figure in the shaping of Christian culture, particularly in regards to dating. Uh, he's also, also he's uh, because of his association with other Christian leaders, he too has announced that he is no longer considering himself to be a Christian. And to be honest, one of these made sense to me. Right, the, the songwriter, kind of you know as self-righteous and, and icky as that made me feel when I as soon as I said it out loud, like it, it made sense. I, I know what church he comes from. they're not a church really known for uh, theological richness or, or even teaching sound doctrine necessarily. So the questions he was asking and, and the way that he was questioning his faith, it, it made sense to me. but the other was a senior pastor at a large church. He was mentored by another recognizable name in the North American church and he would be known for his teaching of sound doctrine and theology. And um, it was Rachel actually who was reading me the article um, and, and when she said his name I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, Really? This guy? And so uh, that was that was Monday night, and so as these thoughts were mulling around my brain as I got ready to preach this morning on a on a passage again concerning Jesus Christ, the great High Priest, I was trying to wrestle with how I could make this a bit more applicable and not just teach more stuff. Uh, and and I just want to say on an aside, just that uh, you guys have been so. Uh, encouraging and it's been really great to, uh, to be able to be given this opportunity and this privilege to share and you guys have been so great to just be so encouraging and, and nice and I'm sure maybe that's not the, the feeling all around but those of you who have approached me I do appreciate that and, and the truth is that the book of Hebrews really does lend itself to looking at the history of the Jewish people and their culture and their religious system and how that carries into the church and, and all these sorts of things. And and these are all great and, and profitable because all of scripture is great, is God breathed and profitable. But my greatest fear as a as a preacher and as a pastor is simply to be teaching you more stuff. Like this isn't a this isn't a university lecture where you come and you take notes and you forget all about it by the time we get to lunch. Right? Like the Word of God is penetrating and should be transforming our lives and actions. When we come to the Word of God, we should be renewed in our view of God primarily, and in light of that view, we should view ourselves and others differently. It should transform the way we interact with God and with others. So that means it's not just a Sunday morning thing. We can't just come in and show up and feel good about ourselves just for showing up. This is a life-altering, long-haul transformation. Right? So, so let me give you an example. Uh, how many are excited that your kids are going back to school? Or grandkids for some of you maybe. Those two are not. <laughs> just saying. But, but on that first Tuesday after Labor Day, when you're just trying to cram breakfast into your kids and then you gotta put them in the van and just do the curbside check in because you're late for your 9 a.m. meeting at the office, like that's when we gauge this transformation, right? Not on Sunday. Because like you're trying to cram breakfast, like, come on, get in the van. Like we got, you know, but, but that's when we temper our, uh, our transformation, that's when we see what is actually occurring in us not on Sunday mornings. But if all we're doing is showing up to church on Sundays and singing some songs while we wait for someone to step up on the pulpit and give us a feel-good message about God, then we're nothing more than a philanthropic social club at best. Right? So if that's All we're doing, then we're in danger of encouraging or even ourselves becoming the type of so called nominal Christian that wakes up 20, 30, 40 years later and thinks, I've been living a lie. I don't even believe this. And, and I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure Pastor Clark and, and Rachel would agree that I don't want that to be the mark of my ministry. I don't just want to teach stuff. I want to see and celebrate the fruit of God's transformational work in each one of us the renewal of our minds as we follow him and an intellectual ascent or knowing things about god isn't going to lead to that transformation because knowing about god and knowing god are not the same thing right like i'm i'm a big sports fan particularly soccer and and basketball and and i could tell you all sorts of things about NBA players, about European soccer players, Toronto soccer players. I could tell you their stats. I could tell you what school they went to. I could tell you where they grew up. But I've, I don't know them. I've never sat at dinner with any of these guys and, and, and shared about life struggles. I don't know all the hardships and unnoticed things that professional athletes go through. But there's far too many people sitting in pews this morning all across North America who know about God, but they don't know him. And I pray this isn't true, but there may even be people here who know about him, but you don't know him. Why is this why is this relevant? Why am I opening up this morning on, on such a downer? Like, see, we're, we're living in a day and age where it might not seem like it, but it's very reminiscent of first century Jerusalem. Because for the majority of our existence as a nation, as, as Canada, uh, God has been at the center of our beliefs. So for the majority of our lives, for most of us, Christian ideals have been the norm. So being a Christian in Canada has been relatively easy. We haven't come up against that much opposition. But in 2019, and increasingly so over the last 20 years or so, that's not been the case. Right? So far has the pendulum of societal norms swung that all of a sudden we have more in common with major ad agencies than we do with our neighbors. So you're like, what what do you mean by that? Well, there's this increasing number of voices calling out major fashion labels, ad agencies, and even Hollywood studios saying that the films and ad campaigns that are going up on billboards are too heteronormative. So maybe you've never heard that word before, but it means exactly what it, what it is, hetero meaning male, female, uh, normative being that's the norm. So there's a conversation happening right now that is saying our romantic comedy shouldn't be boy meets girl anymore. That we should be seeing more same-sex couples on ad agencies. And, and this is not going to take place in the next 15, 20, 30 years. This is going to take place in the next five. And so the point I'm trying to make with this, because you might think, well, that's, you know, that's Hollywood. That's out there. The O'Brien Theater is just down the road. They play movies. We watch Netflix. And so, the point I'm trying to make is that we're at a place right now where the overwhelming majority of our neighbors and those around us are saying with ever increasing fervor that you're wrong, that everything you believe is wrong, and how dare you think differently? How dare you think Jesus is the only way? How dare you say that Jesus is God? And the Jewish audience of the book of Hebrews, most likely in Jerusalem or in a city that is surrounded by people saying, You're wrong. How dare you think Jesus is the Messiah? We have a promise through circumcision, through the sacrificial system, through priests given to us by Moses, ordained by God Himself. How dare you say Jesus is the Messiah? And that's just the Jews, that's not to mention the Romans. Right? And they were persecuted, and they were thrown in prison, they were beaten and killed. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, look, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing, but trust me, Jesus is the one. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He is the great high priest, and he is the one who gives us rest from our sufferings and has prepared a greater eternal rest through the salvation of our souls. So when these types of persecutions in your lives are threatened, stay strong. Stay firm in your faith. In fact, I I can't really get into it because I'm already, you know, messing around with the Uh, chapters assigned to me, but that's what chapter 11 is all about. Right? Like particularly the back half where he talks about all the prophets who were killed and one in particular who gets tied to a tree and sawed in half. And so what he's saying when he writes that is, look, what you're facing is nothing new. They've done it to those who have come before us proclaiming the word of God So when they do it to you, stay strong in your faith. It's the whole point of our series, right? That the hope we have is an anchor for our soul. Stay strong. So my first point this morning is is simply that. Stay strong. Hold firmly to what we believe. When we see others throwing in the towel, stay strong. Pray for the weaker brothers and sisters. Pray for the restoration of those who fall away. But pray also that we don't fall. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So cling to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Cling to his word. Pray for the Spirit's power to sustain and embolden you as you enter an increasingly hostile world. For uh, the second point, let's go to Hebrews. Chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse 14. I'll read the whole passage, and then uh, and then we'll get into our... We'll unpack it a little bit. I'll just, I'll stop there for a second. Verse uh, 15 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. It occurred to me while uh, preparing for this sermon that perhaps one of the greatest temptations Christ faced was in the garden. I just need to add a, a bit of a caveat here. Uh, this is purely conjecture. Uh, this isn't a doctrine that should be taught or preached, but, but I had a thought, and it doesn't infringe on any other sound doctrine or anything we know about Christ, but, but maybe one of the greatest temptations Christ faced was in the garden because he knew what was coming for him. Right? He knew that he was going to suffer. Luke tells us that he was already in such anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood. Luke also tells us, along with the other synoptics, that Jesus prayed for this cup to be passed from him. So maybe while in the garden, you know, on his way to pray and to willingly submit himself, he he was tempted to say, no way, like, I'm not doing this. And yet, he willingly submits himself to the Father. He prays that. Not my will, but your will be done. And in John 10, 18, he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So not only is Christ able to sympathize with our weaknesses and temptations in the obvious ways that we think of, right, like greed or gossip or slander, because he would have been tempted in those ways, but he can sympathize with that uh, with us in that because he was tempted in every way as we are but didn't sin. But he can also sympathize with us in the temptation to elevate himself above the Father. That's some dangerous territory. Let's, let's take this in two parts. First, we'll see how Christ was tempted and, then, uh, and his response, and then we'll contrast that with our response. In Matthew 4, when we read about the temptation of Christ, the temptation isn't simply to turn stones to bread or to jump off a building or to trade worship for a kingdom. The temptation here is for Jesus to elevate himself above the Father and say, I am God, I'm in control, I'm going to do what I want. And by the way, in case you think I'm saying otherwise, Jesus Christ is God, he is in control, and he can do what he wants. But he humbly and willingly submits himself to the Father's will, knowing that there's something greater he's been called to than giving in to these temptations. So let's contrast that to our response to temptation. You might think, well, I've never really elevated myself or tried to elevate myself to a higher position than God. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, had this insight about the Ten Commandments. He said that because the first two commandments deal with idolatry, right? don't have any other gods before me and don't make any graven images of gods other uh, other than me and, and worship and serve them, He said that because these two dealt with idolatry, the rest of the commands can only be broken if you break one of the first two. So Luther's argument here is that if you could steal, if you could uh, dishonor your parents, if you lied about your neighbor, if you were in an adulterous relationship or a, a relationship outside of the confines of marriage, then you had already Broken commands one and two. You'd already elevated something in your life to be in the position of an idol and replace God. And ultimately, no matter how we look at it, that idol or that thing that we put in place of God is our own will, our own sinful desires. See, when we value something more highly than we value God, we're forced in that moment to do two things. One is to suppress the truth of God. And the other is then to question the character of God. Whatever it is that we put there, whether it's your spouse, your children, your house, your cottage, or maybe it's your status in the community, your status in the church, maybe it's your career or your retirement plans. For, for some people, they're elevating their opinions. They might read passages of Scripture and say, well, that, I don't know if that applies to me. I don't really need to pay attention to that. That one's just, you know, that's, that's first century stuff. Culture has changed since. And look at me, none of these things are bad, right? In and of themselves, these are good gifts from God to his people to be enjoyed. Even thoughts, opinions, dialogue, and study, the intellect is a God-given gift. And these, should, and these are all part of being disciples together in community. And, and let me just say as an aside that God isn't surprised by any of our questions. It's not like God doesn't know what is happening, what is going to happen. Like One of the, one of the things I love about uh, the hymn that we sang this morning, uh, verse, verse 3 says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. That means I'm 30 today, when I'm 75, I'm going to have committed a lot more sins that God already knows about and have already been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so when we have questions, when we struggle, when we're unsure, when we're faced with doubts, he already knows. You're not taking him by surprise. It's not like he's got to run to the library and be like, I need, a, I need to you know, reference my uh, text on that. He already knows. He already has an answer. He's already uh, paved the way and provided an answer. So life is difficult to navigate at times, and, and we do have many questions. And he wants us to bring them before him in, true, um, in, in earnest, looking to him for answers. But it's when we make these things, opinions, people, status, it's when we make these things our idols that we elevate ourselves to a position where God should answer to us. And we're ultimately saying, I am God. I am in control. I'm going to do what I want. but look at the example of Jesus in Philippians 2. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our text in Hebrews would say it this way, verse 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, He learned obedience from the things he suffered. So while Jesus may have been tempted to use his godly nature for his own advantage and in so doing, elevating himself above the Father, he chose instead to humbly submit himself to the will of the Father and face the suffering that was placed before him. So what about us? Aren't we called to follow His example? Aren't we called to obey His commands, to carry out our salvation with fear and trembling? See, what I see happening to to various degrees is people who have made idols of any number of things while continuing to attend church after years of actively suppressing God's truth in their lives and questioning his character by by creating these idols, they're finally waking up to the reality that they've been doing that and saying, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. Like, God, because I don't believe that God is actually loving. He isn't kind. He isn't whatever. But in reality... They may have never submitted their lives to his authority. Or they've just been living in sin, living, suppressing his truth, questioning his character in ways that they're not even aware of, that they didn't, it just never made sense to them. And I can't can't say that with certainty about the two examples I gave at the beginning, but I can certainly say that about myself. Right, Like the, the amount of idols that I have that need to be put in check? Like, if if I'm honest, there's times every day where I raise my idols to the position of God. John John Calvin, uh, another reformer, would say, our hearts are idol factories, constantly, continually putting things or people in place of God. It's, it's why we need to be constantly repenting. Repentance, right? Not being resaved. We addressed that last week. But repenting of our sin. Constantly submitting ourselves, myself, to the Father's will and His commands. But see, God isn't after our begrudging submission. Like if if that's what you think when when you think of God is then you haven't truly seen Him yet. If you think God is just some crusty old guy sitting in heaven saying, do this or do that, that's that's not the God I know. See, we talk about choice and we talk about free will. And I we do have the choice to continue to be uh idol factories. We have the choice to submit ourselves lovingly and gracious uh, lovingly and willingly to the will of God. Let me let me give you an example. Um Nobody, I think, if, if you've been married here for any amount of time, nobody here would, like if, if your wife is uh, constantly telling you to pick up the towel, pick up the towel, like after, you know, like pick up the towel. I, I don't ever pick up the towel after my shower thinking, oh, this is going to make me love my wife more. <laughs> right? Like nobody does that. Or like, oh, I'm going to do the laundry so I can love my wife more. No, no, it's because I love my wife that I would pick up the towel, right? It's because I love my wife that I would lovingly serve her, that I would want to make her happy, that that I would want to um, submit myself to her and love her. Thanks, (laughs) God. Right, and, and see what... What's happening is we, uh, it's because we've stopped just knowing about our spouses and have experienced life with them and are getting to know them that we love them more and we willingly submit and, and honor them more. And the same thing happens in our walk with Christ. We've stopped just knowing about him. I grew up in the church. My, my dad was a pastor. But I wasn't saved until I was 18. Right? Like how many of us know somebody like that? How many of us have been that person? How many of us are still that person? And for the last 12 years or so, I've seen a God who is more loving and gracious and merciful and kind. I've seen his heart over the last 12 or so years that I've walked in step with him, continually stumbling, continually making more idols, but repenting of the sin and wanting to submit myself to his will. And the more I know him, the more I love him. And the more I can agree with the psalmist when he says in Psalm 16 that the boundaries have fallen in pleasant places for me. And, and again, it's because we've seen a glimpse of how great and merciful he is that I want to submit myself to him. In both in Philippians and in Hebrews, the text doesn't end with him submitting himself. But Philippians 2 goes on to say, therefore, And in Hebrews, he goes on to say that in this way, God qualified him as the perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So for us, we're not exalted to the position of Christ, but we're transformed into his image. When we submit ourselves, we're transformed into the image of God, and we've been promised to continually be, more, be made more like Him. We've been promised to be raised up at the last day, to be given a new body, a perfect body, and most importantly, we've been promised a life of, uh, an eternal life with Him. See, all too often, I think we, we don't live in light of eternity. Right? We don't think about the fact that 10,000 years from now, nobody's going to care how much money you made. Right? Like 10,000 years from now, your worst day will may not even be a memory. 10,000 years from now, when we're in the presence of God, we've no less days than when we first begun. Right? And so, so far too often we spend our entire lives, these 80, 90, 100 years that we've been given on this earth, focused on all the wrong things, making idols of things that are only going to perish. Anyway, what's the, what's the take-home here? I'm, I'm a little off my notes. We've already talked about two men who have essentially walked away from their faith. We've talked about how crazy the world is and how it's only going to get worse. We've talked about Jesus Christ, the great high priest who can empathize with us. The the first takeaway I already shared with you. Stay strong, believers. Stay strong, brothers and sisters in the faith, when difficult circumstances come our way, when trials and tribulations come our way. The second is this. We sang it. That God can be trusted to be who He says He is. He can be trusted to do what He says He'll do. One of my favorite Bible teachers, um, her name's uh, Jen Wilkin. She uh, she says that almost every fundamental question that humans ask, can be boiled down to one. Can God be trusted? Am I willing to abdicate the throne of my heart, the throne of my will, and place him there instead of myself? I have found that he can be trusted. I have found that any time I lose sight of what's of of uh, my my eternal salvation, it's because I've placed myself higher than God, and I need to remind myself that my sin, not in part but the whole, has already been paid. And that there's a life, an eternal life that is waiting for me with Christ. And so this morning what I want to do is is I want to encourage you to reflect on the things that we've raised up to confess these sins before the Lord, to repent of them. If you want to pray up front, we're going to uh, have people that can pray with you or if you just want to spend some time on your own. I want to encourage you to repent of the sins that we've raised above. And again, I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to pray for our brothers and sisters to stay strong ourselves. I'm going to ask Pastor Clark to come up, but um, he's going to lead us in a song. I want to read to you all of Psalm 32. Pastor Clark uh, read it earlier. He said, For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory there was a season in my life where I was in uh, rebellion against God in a very specific way, uh, more so than my regular idol factories. And the Lord brought me to Psalm 32. And it was one of those amazing moments where the word of God Read me. I didn't read it. It read me. Psalm 32 says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Verse 3, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. God bless the reading of his word.